Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very happy to be joined by two guests on today's show. Uh, we have Sharia Huda, an EdTech strategist and one of the co-organizers of the New York EdTech Meetup, which I just attended virtually, which was quite a hoot, and I would recommend <laughs> it uh, to other folks as well. Sharia, welcome to Trending in Education. Nice to be here, Mike. Yeah, and, and then Sharia, as a ed tech strategist and someone who's connected within the, the field and has advised startups and has a, a really great network, decided to bring in Sean Darty. Sean is an accessibility expert uh, who's worn uh, a bunch of different hats in ed tech and particularly focused on accessibility. Sean, welcome to Training in Education as well. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's a pleasure to have both of you. And the way this started was uh, just through a conversation that Sheree and I were having where we were expressing a lot of shared interests around accessibility, particularly as it applies to education. The concept of universal design for learning is something that we've talked about on the show a few times. It's something that, that I feel strongly about, and it's something that comes out of accessibility more broadly, that universal design is thinking about all of the potential use cases that are out there, all the potential users who are out there, and at inception, designing with them in mind, that it creates a more inclusive experience for everyone, and then frequently has unexpected benefits for everyone as well, not just the folks who the accessibility was designed for. Sean, can you talk a little bit about your experience in the space? You've worn many different interesting hats as it relates to accessibility. I'd love to hear you talk us through that a bit. Sure. Yeah, I would love to speak to that a bit more. My background is more on the marketing side. I'm definitely a user um, of assistive technologies and accessibility tools. I myself uh, have low vision, so I have a condition uh, called cone dystrophy and um, my eyes are very sensitive to light. I definitely also have an impact on kind of my clarity of vision. It gives me kind of a impressionistic style of, of kind of how I see things. And so mm -hmm. accessibility tools for me are very helpful for my work as well as for kind of how I, how I navigate the world. And I mm -hmm. think uh, where we're at right now, you know, kind of companies are thinking about making their technologies available to everyone and really considering all users. And I think this is something that's that's really important right now because really in the world, there's about a, a little over a billion people um, that identify as having some type of disability, um, which ends up being about 15% or so of the global population. And so if you know, companies aren't building for these users, they're really missing out on a big opportunity. Um, right. These are people that can't, you know, effectively use their tools if they don't have the proper pieces of technology in place. Yeah. And one of the trends we talk about a lot on this show is that of inclusivity. We talk about digital inclusion a lot, and you can't really be inclusive if you're not designing products that are accessible to one in seven humans on the earth, if I did my math right. So yes. <laughs> roughly that fraction. Sharia, we talked about this in passing. We shared an interest. I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on this as well. Yeah. So actually some background on me, my background is in speech and hearing science. That's what I studied in undergrad. Mm. And I had taught prior to coaching startup founders, I was actually the head ed tech specialist at a school for students with learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. So I spent um, months just researching different ed tech applications customized towards kids who have ADHD, mm -hmm. dyslexia, or any auditory processing. 
Right. And I think from there, it just gave me a bigger, broader exposure of what the needs are and how accessibility is just something that just transcends across from the classroom. Mm -hmm. When I had switched over to the corporate world, I discovered that I have ADHD. So mm -hmm. I spent just all my childhood and adulthood trying to figure out, okay, I was placing myself in certain environments that were helpful to me. And I didn't know that I was kind of self-coping in a way. Mm. And so I know we had discussed neurodiversity at some point. Yeah, and yeah. I think as we're working more remote for virtual now, it's so important to understand then our needs and your users' needs as well. Yeah. I think especially with having these virtual classrooms or uh, meeting sessions, it's important mm -hmm. to know that are the people that you're creating this meeting space for, do they have the accommodations at home? Right. Um, are they colorblind? If you're creating PowerPoint presentations, are you really accommodating you know, towards everyone in your meeting space? Yeah, for sure. That's interesting perspective. And I think we're gonna wanna come back to neurodiversity as we talk about trends that we're seeing around accessibility, which the name of the show is Trending in Education. So we mm -hmm. gotta, gotta talk about some of those trends. Sean, I'd love to hear your perspective on maybe the pandemic response. There will be a day when this show is not about COVID-19, COVID COVID-17, which is a whole nother story, <laughs> but uh, COVID-19, but that day is not today, uh, sadly yet. It's such a profound change. All of our behaviors are changing, and particularly as it relates to education, there's been an emergency response that had to happen when so much of education used to be face-to-face. -face. It had to rapidly, within days in March, go from face-to-face -face experiences to online, combination of homeschool, distance learning, a little bit of synchronous, but a mixed bag and very ad hoc reactive. How was accessibility, if at all, factored into that? Are there any examples of that that worked? And any thoughts you might have on, you know, A, the importance of accessibility to the, the less reactive response to the new world that we're living in? And just more broadly, good design thinking around accessibility is something that I think is a trend that's worth accelerating. Hopefully it's accelerating a little bit on its own, but I'd love to maybe a little bit of your background and then some perspective on the pandemic and how accessibility relates. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm definitely a user of assistive technology and accessibility tools. But for the past two years, I've been working on the Google for Education team, working there in partner marketing. And basically, I've been supporting ed tech developers that are building apps for K-12 education. And all of those apps uh, are optimized for the Google ecosystem. So for Chromebook devices, for tools such as Google Classroom and G Suite, and how those tools are deployed together into the education ecosystem. So mm -hmm. kind of having this uh, robust apps ecosystem and being able to use those apps effectively on Chromebooks in the classroom. Yep. And so throughout my work there, I was able to work with quite a few partners that also touch accessibility. So these are apps that are geared around areas like low vision, having screen reader technology um, that can help with students that struggle reading, really a wide range of different needs and, and conditions. Yeah. Um, and I also got to partner quite a bit with the Google accessibility team and, and think about how, how do accessibility tools really benefit students. And really through that, it, it really got, got me thinking about the best way that I could kind of make a difference and impact. And I think for me going forward, um, really trying to make people more aware of accessibility tools and, and yeah. really help those users. And, and I think right now where we're at, I think 
this is a challenging place for teachers as well mm-hmm. as students because those students are, are are used to being in a physical classroom, having their devices there where maybe they can use the assistive features that are built in, but then also having the aid of the teacher to be able to have face-to-face interactions, to be mm-hmm. able to have uh, a teacher's aid that can meet with them one-on-one. Yeah. Um, and, and also the, the physical classroom right now, you know, is just not an accessible environment for anyone. Like no mm-hmm. one can physically be in the classroom. Right. So it's kind of forced, you know, all school systems to really go into the digital world, whether yeah. they're ready for it or not. And I think there's a wide range of challenges that come, come along with that. Yeah. And I imagine some, some corners were probably cut because people were just scrambling to get online not intentionally, let's not assume malice here, but, but like I just imagine you move fast, you don't really know what you don't know, and you're just trying to get a solution in place as fast as you can. There's been mixed to bad reviews, frankly, about a lot of the educational interventions that were stood up really fast in the spring so far. Any thoughts on how accessibility should factor into design thinking? You were talking a little bit about that when we were prepping I'd love to hear you you maybe expand on when it works best and then maybe some some danger zones to avoid. Sure, yeah. I, I think it kind of depends on the individual user and their needs, but I, I think there are a lot of creative ways um, that it can be done. I think one example, thinking about kind of the Google ecosystem. So being able to, if a teacher can't meet with a student one-on-one or if a teacher aide can't be there right alongside the student, they could utilize a Google Doc uh, where they could kind of have a shared dialogue back and forth. And that could be on a split screen alongside maybe the, the lesson of the day that's that yep. being recorded by the teacher. And so where normally that aid might be there alongside the student, maybe that student's in a separate room or separate teaching environment, but when they're at home, as long as they have access to that device, um, they can still have those interactions with the aid. And also just thinking about how the the lectures are kind of administered overall. Like for some students, it, it might help to have the teacher be giving the lecture to everyone, but then other students might benefit more from that kind of one-on-one attention. So I think right. setting up time for those one one-on-one, whether it's using Google Hangouts or Zoom or, you know, mm-hmm. those, those video calls, yeah. um, I think can benefit a lot of students as well. So I, I think it has caused education institutions to, to think creatively about um, how they can still allow the students to have the right technologies in place that they, that they need. Yeah. And, and you were talking a bit about the importance of getting, I think this is an example from Google, but the importance of getting your product managers and your engineers and your developers to think about accessibility from the start rather than trying to do a retrofit to boundary cases at the end. Even just philosophically, that just sounds like the second example was, was second path was probably a bad one to go. Can, can you explain, expand a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it was a trend that I definitely saw in my time uh, with Google. And then even more recently, I've been in some conversations with uh, some of the other big uh, tech companies in the space as well, Mm -hmm. such as uh, Apple and Amazon, Microsoft. And, you know, I think these big tech companies are really kind of driving the path forward and and being the market leaders around accessibility because they're really encouraging their engineers to think about how their users are going to interact with their products at the very earliest stages of development. 
development, yeah. um, as opposed to building a, a product, whether it's a hardware or software product, and then going back and having to kind of retrofit it uh, mm-hmm. for the user. They're really building in the needs of um, users that have, you know, visual impairments, that have hearing loss or impairments, that have mm-hmm. mobility issues or, you know, cognitive impairments. They're really taking into consideration the needs of all these users at the earliest product stages. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I think what's happening as a result is that it's building a better product overall. I think it's benefiting those users, but it's really benefiting all users. Um, right. there, there's quite a few areas you could, you could point to uh, closed captions as an example, mm-hmm. a functionality like, you know, specific to Google, but a, a couple other companies have this as well, where you can be presenting in Google slides and it has the ability now to auto caption so right. that while you're speaking, it can, you can present. And, and so of course that naturally benefits people that are deaf or hard of hearing, but it really could benefit everyone you know if you can't if you're just in the back and you can't hear the presentation but if you have yeah. good vision or, or if you want to take a picture of it with your phone right um, you can still capture kind of what that that audio was um, yeah or, or even for someone like myself with my cone dystrophy um, with the, I have a lot of light sensitivity so I benefit from really high contrast environments like using mm-hmm. a dark background and and something that Apple has done now is they've created kind of the dark mode feature yep. Um, which I used to use very early on. I would have to dig, you know, really dig through the accessibility menu, find it and turn it on. But now to Apple's credit, it's something that they've brought to the forefront that's just a really simple shortcut you know, that yeah. any user, and of course it benefits a lot of people. I mean, at night, just the, the strain of yeah. having the white background. I, I think those kind of features and now are being brought to the forefront and can really benefit a lot of people. I love everything uh, you're mentioning, Sean. I've been doing that too in terms of like the accessibility piece of just inverting all my texts. Mm-hmm. And even so, going back to the corporate space, when I had uh, worked at BrainPop for some time, one thing I noticed was that there was a gap in communication of what internal departments knew what accessibility really meant. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes back to what you had mentioned. It, accessibility really just transcends across all rooms. If I'm using Siri, does it mean that I have a specific impairment? No, it's just, it's easier for me to use. So I mm-hmm. think we're hopefully shifting to a place where the word accessibility, you, you don't just have this vision of a type of audience. Right. It's just everyone. It's, it's the new norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and expanding on where you're going, Sharia, I'd love to get a little more perspective from you, perhaps about the ed tech community, which I know you're very plugged into and the the entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. uh, mode that exists in the world today. Any perspective on how accessibility relates to that? I I can think of a few different ways, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed um, after having some conversations with early stage startup founders, uh, accessibility wasn't something that's on their priority list. So if they're building a content, you know, platform, uh, my main question is, hey, is there, I don't, I didn't see a speech to text or text speech option on this. I didn't see closed captioning. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're thinking about? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the answer is, yeah, uh, but that's not really on our roadmap yet. Mm-hmm. So going back to having these plans become later stage plans for your product. And now you're just missing out on a large audience. Yeah. So I think in the ad tech space, it sometimes gets complicated mm-hmm. when you don't already have it pre-built um, in the beginning. Yeah. And I imagine investors ask questions like this all the time too. So if you, if you don't have a plan that's thoughtful about accessibility, 
it's the type of question that an investor or an advisor or downstream, maybe a board member might ask you that question. And if you have to do a, a quick dance number to get out of that question, you're in a bad spot. Whereas, oh yeah, you know, if you go in with that kind of thinking up front, and then the related thought that I had was the space that you're moving into, Sean, is is also an opportunity here too. So the the blind spots that you're talking about, Sharia, need to be addressed. And we have to figure out how do we train more people like like you, Sean? And then also how do we elevate the consciousness of people who are starting companies or people who are designing products to shift their thinking? I imagine you've had some of those experiences, Sean. So I'd, so I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on how do you become an accessibility expert? And then what kind of tactics work best to evolve the, the thinking so that people adopt a more inclusive mindset? Sure. Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think we're all kind of biased by our own experiences, right? Even for me, because I was born with this condition, I'm used to using screen readers and kind of interacting with things in a, in a certain way. And, and for me, that's kind of the, the normal experience. And so I think the challenge to companies is to kind of think outside of the way they're used to thinking. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking about how they use the product, think about how other people use the product, right? And so it, it's kind of a, it, it can be a hard thing. If you don't have any mobility issues or any cognitive issues, it can be challenging to consider what a person like that would experience or would, would think or how they would use the product. And so right. I think the key is to first have that way of, of thinking, open yourself up beyond how you would think the product should be used. Right. And then the next step is to identify um, those types of users really early on and, and really get their thoughts and feedback. Even if it's at the early product design stages, getting their input you know, definitely helps. And, and then as the product is moving further along, continuing to hold test groups with, with those types of people you know, that, that cover all the conditions can really help uh, the design process. And, and how, does, how does one become an expert in this space? Are there credentials or is there, is there a program you go to? Like, how, how do you, is it just a, a labor of love and you have to kind of cobble it all together yourself? I'd be curious uh, about that. Well, for me, yeah, I think I'm still learning along the way. I don't know if I'm really yet an expert. I use a lot of the tools. I've definitely spent a lot of time researching them and mm-hmm. testing. So yeah, I think it's kind of a, a work in progress, even even for myself. There are a lot of you know guidelines out there and principles that um, companies need to follow. So I think you look at the, the legal side, right. things of like accessing the web and right. the, the principles you need in place. So, I mean, there are a lot of kind of those practical pieces that companies right. need to follow. Um, right, right. But, but for myself, yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still a work in progress as yeah. far as uh, being an expert. I think it's also important to connect with specialists, mm-hmm. folks who are doing the assessing, speaking with people who have role in higher education, a professor who may be a chair of the accessibility department, a speech mm-hmm. therapist, an occupational therapist, folks who already, this is their specialty. And I think if you are a user researcher, you kind of already have some form of, a, of idea of what a user may need. Mm-hmm. Um, and having like a large pool of surveys and saying, okay, what are the, uh, what's the feedback from the survey? Okay, mm-hmm. this seems to be a specific trend and need in here as well. Yeah. And there is an opportunity here in that it is new. You know, there is not as much of an established canon of this is how you do it. And then also my experience having worked in e-learning for 20 years is that it's a moving target too. So you, you develop for one generation of a product 
when you go back to the drawing board and you redesign, frequently you have to redesign to meet new standards. And that's just the nature of staying current, just as a product in general, but as a, a product that's designed truly for everyone. It's almost more like the mindset and the empathy is what is most critical to success, first and foremost. Everything else will follow if you have that right approach up front. And then what I'm curious about, and, and I think we can move on quickly, but what do you do if you run into someone who's just not getting it? Does that happen or, or is it more if you're effective in your job, Sean, you're able to elevate the thinking? I, I, I come back to you more, can I experience what it's like almost like a virtual reality kind of thing where can I experience what it's like? Once I experience what it's like, I'll get that awareness that you're talking about. Maybe it's as simple as showing them what a screen reader looks like or are there any examples like that that kind of help you break through to people who aren't really getting it? Yeah, there are some tools out there where you can, like if you're testing a website, for example, um, you can see what the site would look like if you had a color blindness mm -hmm. or if you had a lower vision capability. Mm -hmm. So I, I think on some level, there are ways to experience the way that people that have different abilities or identifies have a particular disability would interact, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with your product. So I think yeah. that can start to build up an empathy um, mm -hmm. for people that don't quite understand what that person might be struggling with or how they're using it. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty good starting place. Yeah, it reminds me yeah. a little bit of just the just kind of the notion of the privileged class not even understanding diversity because they just assume everyone is like them. You know, you hear about that when it comes to race and gender and all these other things, but it's very much true when it comes to accessibility. The good news is I think there are many folks who are opening up to this more. And um, Sheree, I'd love to hear your perspective on just in general as a topic, but also, uh, you know, as in terms of where things are headed, any thoughts on any trends you're seeing emerge or any things that you wanted our listeners to pay attention to around where accessibility is today and where it may be heading in the future? I think we have obviously a long way to go, but we've come across some challenges we've seen within, not just within products. So for example, in the ed tech space, I know Digital Promise just created product certifications. So as a school is deciding whether they want to purchase your product or not, and they see that you as a vendor have a product certification from Digital Promise, it shows mm -hmm. that you're credible, right? And what does the product certification do? It looks at the type of product you're trying to build and aligns it with the student outcome and the goals. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to build a, say a specific math product, and mm -hmm. um, so now that certification will say, okay, you're designing a math product. Let's make sure that this product also enables um, options for repetition. So for students who may have any auditory processing, they're able to see it over and over again. And that's mm -hmm. just one minor example. Yep, yep. And I think as we're both in K to 12, higher ed and you know adult learning and ongoing, now that we're much more um, virtual, I think there will be more time to understand, hey, this person needs a break. We've right. had like 30 different Zoom calls throughout the day. <laughs> Let's be mindful of how some people may be overly sensitive to this. Yeah. And as well as um, making sure there's different methods of retrieving information. Mm -hmm. For example, I think of Netflix and I think to see how are people so engaged in this. It's not just that Netflix compared to other streaming platforms have different uh, subjects, but there's also the option of closed captioning in different languages. Mm -hmm. That if you have ADHD, that having that closed caption option also already draws you in because you're focused on the letter on the content. Right, right. 
Um, So I think going back to even Sean's point, I think there needs to be more advocacy and awareness of what products are already out there that are kind of doing this. So because we have the background and accessibility and knowledge of it, I know that when I'm looking at a PowerPoint, I can enable the captioning option because it works Mm -hmm. better for me. Mm-hmm. But if you don't even know that that option is there, then how would you be able to put that? So I think it requires also in the in the corporate side to have more professional development. Maybe, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to do an, a lunch chat this week to talk about product accessibility. You know, as an internal team, what works for you and what doesn't. Now that work is shifting completely in some sense, let's see what works for us moving forward. So that yeah. way we are able to build a better community as we're working remote, yep. you don't want to cause early burnout. Um, I think we're in such a weird time that we're all just trying to figure out what the heck is happening. Yeah. Um, so, so I think uh, we'll see. I'm hoping we see more involvement from leadership. So that way, uh, especially in a startup space, you're not having such a high turnover. Yeah. And I, I do think some of the shifts that I've seen have encouraged a shared experience and encouraged Mm -hmm. more empathy. If you're in a Zoom meeting and you're actually seeing people from their homes experiencing their lives, it's hard to really compartmentalize your professional understanding of them versus just understanding them as as a human who's who's got real challenges because we're all facing real challenges nowadays, you know? So that's why I do think there's a real opportunity to elevate consciousness and really spend more time championing the cause and trying to get other folks to become champions within their organizations is another real interesting perspective as well. My experience has been that it's not always clear who's responsible for accessibility within an organization. And frequently it takes someone at a leadership level or even below a leadership level to begin the advocacy, aside from understanding the risk associated with not being compliant accessibility wise. I'd love to hear maybe a little more from you, Sean, on that. When an organization is successful, how does the culture shift? Who, where is the, is it at the leadership level? Is it in the the, the ranks? Is it a, a blend of the two? Is it part of the culture? Is it explicit? Is it implicit? Any perspective on that, I'd, I'd love to hear, because it'd be great to figure out what are the attributes you need to activate to actually get this sort of change in mindset to happen. Yeah, I think it can come from a little bit of both places, but I I think that companies need to adopt it as one of their core values. It needs to be something that they they see that has value and something they want to take on and really include in their product. And Mm -hmm. so in in a lot of cases, maybe that starts at the top with the leaders determining what what the values are that the company is going to have and what the mission is going to be. But then it's up to the employees, of course, to really live that out and buy in and really want to make that uh, a reality. I've seen it effective where usually like the CEO or leadership team really wants to make things accessible, wants to talk about accessibility, wants to consider it for all of their products. But then oftentimes you have these evangelists uh, within the company. Like they they might be an expert from the outside that spent their whole career kind of focused on accessibility. Or it might be someone like myself that's a user that kind of has a natural passion and interest. And Mm -hmm. then Um, that person starts talking about it, sharing the tools they're using, what their experiences are, going to the teams within the company that are working on the design and and kind of pushing them to to really want to focus on it and include it. So I think it does take those kind of influencers within the organization Mm -hmm. to make sure that 
products are accessible, but I think it also needs to be a core value of the company yep. itself. Yeah, completely agree. And I, adding on to that, I think it's important to have that conversation as part of your onboarding process. Mm. So that way you already know what you're getting into. And that way you are also best supported by your coworkers as well. Mm. That's interesting. If you're looking to be hired, it's an interesting question for you to ask, you know, when, when there's always that awkward period, do you have any more questions? Uh, it is an interesting perspective to get on an organization just to understand how, how much your hiring manager might know about their approach to accessibility. It is that important, you know, and I think frequently it is almost treated as something, oh, we'll get to it eventually. But when it's really a central tenant in your organization, particularly in these inclusive days, I think it's, uh, it's really a differentiator and uh, it's probably good for business too, ultimately. I like it when that can align, like doing right can actually be good for your business, really building products that account for the entirety of the marketplace and build in features that are more resonant specifically with, with folks with disabilities of some kind that frequently makes your product better. And it certainly signals to the market that you are an inclusive open-minded organization who has some of those central cultural tenets that we're talking about. We're approaching time, so I did want to wrap with any trends that either of you are seeing outside of what we talked about so far, and we didn't get into depth on neurodiversity, so we could put a pin in that one. If you want to talk about that now, I'd love to hear it, but also maybe we'll come back to that on a future show. Any parting thoughts, any other trends you're seeing out there, maybe beginning with you, Sean, and then uh, concluding with you, Ashuria? Yeah, I think for me, um, going back a bit to what we were talking about earlier around COVID and our, our current environment, mm-hmm. I, I think technology is really something that that helps all of us. You know, it's an aid to, to all of us. And I think in the situation that we're in, where we can't be in an office space working together, we can't be in a classroom learning together, we have to rely on distance learning and technology even more. And mm-hmm. so I think we're realizing that technology is assistive really by nature, you know, mm-hmm. so it really helps um, people no matter what uh, their experiences are, their needs or their abilities. And, you know, if you are a person that um, identifies as having a disability, you might have to rely more on technology or on a different type of technology. But at the end of the day, as humans, technology is really an aid for us all. And Mm -hmm. so I think it just, it just helps us all in different ways. And so Mm -hmm. I I hope that that's something that people are kind of realizing um, throughout all of this is for one, like how valuable technology can be to really connect us all, you know, as humans all over the world. And Mm -hmm to be able to work on things together, but in particular for those people that have those additional needs, you know, how much of a difference it can make um, in their life um, to be able to to utilize products and really engage and make an impact, you know, on society. Awesome. Agreed. Yeah, I think in the, you know, tech space and accessibility space, we're going to see more involvement from more emerging economies, from more emerging countries be part of this, right? So for example, when I've been doing the New York Ed Tech Mixers. I couldn't reach people from other states who really wanted to attend, but not because this is more virtual, able to connect with folks from other countries who may not have had these resources within their own community. So I think about students, students who want access to learn about different subjects, but who may not have had the educators near them in mm-hmm. their hometown. Now being online, you can connect with a teacher, whether it's through Facebook, whether it's through LinkedIn, whether it's through a WhatsApp group, mm-hmm. and someone else can curate that WhatsApp group. So it's an exciting time for entrepreneurs and students, and I'm, I'm just very excited to see what else is going to come out of this. 
um, especially as we're seeing more live stream um, classes happen. Mm -hmm. I met this one founder and their product, what they're doing is they're bringing in uh, live stream classes, but the accessibility piece is they are adding speech to text option in it. So mm -hmm. when you're listening to the user, you're able to hear and read the font and context within your native language. Mm -hmm. Very cool stuff. Yeah, I agree. Technology is, to your point, Sean, it's an enabler. It also can build barriers. So as long as folks understand how to build some ramps rather than barriers, try to smooth access for everyone, there's some real opportunity to create new connections, new mixes of people, especially once the global community, particularly the global educational community, is all on common platforms and is less localized due to geographic constraints. There's a real upside there and, and hopefully we can continue to elevate consciousness and get people thinking about where the world is headed. If folks want to learn more about uh, you or what you're talking about, any, any final plugs, uh, Sean? Best way to reach me is probably through my email. So my email is mytechally at gmail.com. Nice. So that's A11Y, which is the kind of short form for accessibility. Um, but nice. that's the best way to reach me. And yeah, more than happy to connect yeah, either there or LinkedIn. Awesome. would love to yeah, have further conversations around uh, accessibility. Great. And how about you, Sharia? Yeah, you can contact me through my LinkedIn at Sharia Huda or um, my Gmail directly, which is Sharia, S-H-A-R-I-A. H-U-D-A at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks to both of you. A uh, wonderful conversation about accessibility, about how the world is changing and how smart organizations, smart universities, educational companies are thinking about accessibility from inception. And there's some real upside as the world continues to become more connected and inclusive through some of these technical platforms that are emerging. Ideally, they're all built with inclusivity and accessibility in mind. Thanks again for listening to Trending in Education.